We are back in 1 Peter again this morning, uh, looking at in chapter 4. Um, uh, remember, Peter is writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is in the region of modern-day Turkey. Uh, and we've seen that following Jesus uh, in the midst of a, uh, a hostile world is difficult. Um, uh, the world is antagonistic, not only to our God, but growing uh, in antagonism towards his people. Um, and as we've seen to live as Jesus calls us, uh, a Christ-like and cross-shaped life, uh, is going to be risky, it's going to be costly, it's going to be dangerous, and it's going to be hard. Temptations abound because in the midst of, uh, of, uh, of this call to follow Jesus, which is hard in and of itself, much less adding on the pressures of persecution, uh, the temptation is going to be there uh, to want to preserve ourselves to not want to entrust ourselves to our gracious God and our King, to want to uh, uh, maybe flee to sin or to keep our mouths uh, quiet and not proclaiming who it is that we are, are following and hoping and, and trust in. We're going to be tempted to selfishness, tempted to self-preservation and protection at the cost of the gospel and of our brothers and sisters in, uh, in Christ. Um, here, uh, so far in this book, we've seen uh, Peter has been uh, writing to these churches and to you and to me, trying to ex uh, explain and encourage us to stand firm in the grace of God and talking to us about what that looks like to stand firm in the grace of God in the midst of the world where we're experiencing persecution. Um, where Peter is turning in this section of, of the chapter is what does it look like for us to stand firm in the grace of God in the context of the church, when the church is experiencing persecution from the outside world. What does it look like to personally and corporately stand firm in the grace of God? That's what we want to look at this morning. So if you would, uh, we're going to start in verse 7 of chapter 4. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page uh, 1016. We're going to go down through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are uh, well acquainted uh, with our struggles. Jesus, you know. Uh, the, the difficulty and suffering uh, that uh, is experienced by those who seek to follow and honor our God. Uh, we pray that you would continue to point us to yourself, show us uh, uh, who you are, what we need, the beauty of the gospel and the true grace of God 
in this passage that we might stand firm in it. Um, Holy Spirit, use these words to accomplish your eternal purposes now in our lives and our hearts. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, uh, a lot of times uh, Presbyterians do three-point sermons. Uh, Peter uh, at least wasn't uh, a three-point sermon man, uh, at least this passage. He's got, uh, we're going to have four, because uh, that's what Peter has. So uh, we're going to focus on the, these four commands uh, that Peter, these instructions that Peter gives uh, the church in the context of this uh, section of how we're to stand firm in the grace of God in the context of his, of his people. Um, we're going to see that he's going to call us to keep focused. Uh, we're going to see that he's calling us to love earnestly, to show hospitality, and lastly, to serve one another. So first, let's see, as Peter calls us as God's people in the, midst, in the context of the church, standing firm in the grace of God by keeping focused. Look, look, look at what he says there in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter is saying, if we're going to stand firm in the grace of God, and actually what standing firm in the grace of God looks like is being focused, self-controlled, sober-minded. Why? Why self-controlled? Why sober-minded? Look at what Peter says. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, Peter's not, uh, not saying that, that he believes tomorrow the end of the world is coming, that Jesus is returning. Uh, he's, he, he's talking uh, more about the large scope of Christ's redemptive work and of God's purposes in the history of redemption. Peter is saying we're in the last days, the, the, the final times. Remember, he's already told us where we are living now is the period of history that angels have longed to look in. Think about what all has happened. God took on flesh. He suffered and he died for you as people. He rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, securing your victory and your new life. Uh, his, as being the resurrected one, he has now ascended and is, is ruling and reigning on the right hand of the Father. What more is there? We All we do is we're waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back He's ready to judge. We saw that last week. We're waiting for him to come and renew and restore all things. We are in the end times. The end is at hand. We are in the culmination period of history. And there is nothing left to do except wait until Christ returns, Peter says. And it's because of that. Because God has fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus, because he is the victorious and the powerful one, we need to keep our, our focus, our minds, our hearts on the purposes of God, on his accomplishments, on his sufficiency, on him fulfilling all that he intended and is doing for his glory and on behalf of his people. Uh, Peter says, why? Why should we be doing this? N notice, uh, you're not staying sober-minded and self-controlled so that you can uh, go and fight those who are persecuting you. Sober-minded and self-controlled so that you can have a quick verbal response to those who are taunting and maligning you. No. It says, for the sake of your prayers. Peter says, we need to keep our, our, our focus 
self-controlled, sound mind so that we can seek our God in prayer, confident that the one who has saved and redeemed us is the one who will fulfill his purposes. We've already seen that demonstrated in Christ. We should have all the confidence in the world to know that the one that we cry out to and that we call to hears us, will accomplish his purposes, will answer his prayers, and will preserve his people. What other uh, encouragement do we need but to have that confidence and knowing that because we are in the final scope and, uh, and, and, and time of God's fulfilling all that he has intended to do, that we should seek and call upon him in prayer. Just this, uh, uh, this weekend, the U.S. Uh, had a, uh, the, the National Gymnastics uh, Championship. And uh, a guy named uh, Brody Malone uh, won uh, for the men. Um, but prior to, uh, to winning, as he, as he approached the, the, the last day, coming to the end of the championship, he was in the lead. And because it was coming down to the, to, the, to the final part, and he wanted to make sure he was focused on the purpose and the goal, which was winning the championship, he recognized and realized, I need to put all distractions aside because this is what it's all about. This is what I've been sacrificing for. This is what I've been training for. This is why I eat what I eat and don't eat what I don't eat. This is why I, I do all the exercises and get up early in the morning. It's for this very moment, and nothing can distract me. And so you know what he did? He deleted Instagram off of his phone. We are in the, the, the supreme part of the history of humanity. Our focus and our goal, what Jesus has redeemed and saved us for, is for something that is far more important than the U.S. Men's National uh, Gymnastics Championship. That's inconsequential. That's nothing compared to what he has called us to. If he can sacrifice all of these things so that his mind and his heart is focused on what he uh, has been purposed and focused and pointed all of his life to, should we not be all the more eager to put all things aside that would distract us, that would distract our minds and our hearts and our attention from the glory and the purposes of God for why he has saved us, why he has redeemed us, and turn to him in dedicated, focused prayer that he would change us, that he would use us, that he would accomplish his purposes, which he has promised to do. Peter says, yes. Yes, be focused. What about you and me, though? What occupies our minds? What consumes our actions? What distracts us from what we have been saved and redeemed for? Remember, what's our purpose? You've been called from darkness into God's marvelous light so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has redeemed and saved you. You are a people for his own possession, his heritage he delights in. What distracts you from that? <laughs> what distracts us from rightly responding to and appreciating the magnitude and the glory and the grace of God's redemptive purposes and our place and our role in it? 
what distracts you and me from prayer? When you sit down and you wake up in the morning, does the beauty and glory and grace of the God who would suffer and give himself for you consume your minds and your thoughts? Or is it checking your email? Is it checking the score from the game last night? Is it seeing who responded and replied and liked your post on Instagram or Facebook? Is, uh, is it to, to check uh, how your, your stocks are doing? When you wake up in the morning or you, or you try to, to focus time in prayer, are you consumed with your to-do list and all that lays before you at work? Is your, is your mind and your heart occupied and keep going to, uh, to those illicit images that you looked at the night before? And do fantasies fill your mind and your heart so that you can't concentrate and focus and seek your God because your mind is longing for and craving for things that are contrary to his purposes and his intentions for you? Peter says, put those things aside. Be focused. Be self-controlled. Where do you go when you're overwhelmed? To whom do you turn when you can't cope in the midst of all that you're experiencing in, your, in the world? Peter says, if we are in the last days and the God that we serve has accomplished what he says he's accomplished, why are you going to go to anybody else? Why would you turn to anything, anyone else, but to plead and call upon your God in prayer? It is because of the accomplishments of Jesus that we are called to seek him in prayer and be focused. It's our privilege. It's why we've been saved. Peter says, as God's people in the midst of the church, as we're struggling and facing pressure from the outside, there's one place we should be going. And that is to our God, focused on him. Notice also that what Peter says is that we are to love earnestly. When, uh, uh, when Adelaide was little, uh, Beckett had just been uh, born, and she was, uh, she was so excited to, to meet little Bebe. And uh, she loved him so much, too much actually, she would go over and want to squeeze and hug and love him, and he would turn red. And I could tell her, Adelaide, you, you're loving him too hard. you got to let go. But that, 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 that didn't change anything. Once he was starting to toddle around and walk, she would want to go over and give him a hug, and she would hug him too long and too hard, and eventually both of them would fall down. And so we had to implement a hug and release policy in our house <laughs> because she loved him too much, too hard. That may have been Adelaide's problem, but you think about your heart and my heart, very, very rarely do we struggle because we love people too much. All too often, it's because we don't love enough. And Peter says what he's calling people of God to, what the gospel calls us to, is to love earnestly. Look at what he says in verse 8. How important is this? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. What does that love look like? Notice what he says. Since love covers a multitude of 
sins. Peter is saying, you, I, I need you to give top priority. I need to, you to focus uh, your, uh, your, uh, your intentions to be purposeful in loving others deeply in the context of the church. And what that looks like is forgiveness. He's quoting here, or at least alluding to uh, Proverbs 10, 12, where Solomon says, hate stirs up strife, but love covers sin. The coverage that he's talking about here, we, our, our love's not going to atone for anybody's sin. He's talking about not, not fanning it up, not dwelling on it, not causing it to bring in divisions and bitterness in the context of the community of God. Peter is saying, love earnestly by forgiving. Remember, what did Jesus say? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. In context, at least on the first look at what Jesus was saying, is that we should love our Heavenly Father because of the great forgiveness He's extended us. But he, Peter here is drawing another implication of it. If we have been loved much and forgiven much by our God, it only makes sense that we would love much those that he loves and that we would forgive much those that he has forgiven. Think about how the magnitude of the debt that you and I had before our God, the only thing that would save you because of your sin, the only thing that would save me was God dying. The eternal one, the author of life, had to take on flesh to die for you, to save you. That's how bad your situation is. You think you're going to encounter anybody in the church who has sinned against you more than that? Nope. No one's sin against you is, uh, surpasses how much you've sinned against your Heavenly Father. And yet, how has He responded? Grace upon grace upon grace, and He's forgiven you. But guess what? In the context of the church, those who sin against you, guess what? Jesus died for them, too. He loves them. He gave his life for them. And he is saying, because I love you and I love them, I'm calling you to love them earnestly and deeply and overlook their sin. Cover it up. Why is this important? Think about it in the context of these churches. What are they facing outside? Persecution. Rejection. They can't escape the hostility in the world that they're not citizens of. In the broader community, in their workplaces, in their homes, we've seen it. Where's the only place that's going to be a source of refuge and safety and encouragement? It's in the context of the people of God. What will happen then if we enter into the church and there too we find bitterness, hardness of heart, rejection, strife. You see what Peter's pointing us to? Your hard-heartedness, my hard-heartedness has the potential to jeopardize the purposes and the mission and the vision for our church. Why? Peter's calling us to stand firm in the grace of God, right? Right? When we refuse to forgive, our actions are calling into question that very grace that we are being encouraged to stand in. Peter says, you have been forgiven 
forgive. What now is on your mind and your heart? Who in the context of our congregation has sinned against you? That you, you still are keeping it in your mind. When you think about them, you don't think of compassion and love and joy and seeing Christ in them. But you cringe. Or you criticize. You judge them in your mind. Peter says, put it aside. That has no place in the midst of the people of God. You have been forgiven by Jesus. Love earnestly. Forgive others. We will not be able to stand as God's people. Our church will not be able to accomplish what we've been called to accomplish. Somebody sinned against you? Forgive them. Love them. Because Jesus has forgiven and loved you. Keep focused. Love earnestly. Next, Peter calls us to show hospitality. Look in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, a lot of times when we talk about hospitality in our context, maybe you're thinking a four-course meal, uh, some fancy napkins, and more forks than you really know what to do with. Uh, Peter's not talking about that. In this context, hospitality was about safety. It was about protection. It was about making sure that someone wasn't harmed and taken advantage of. That means that, that, that hospitality is costly. It's risky. Because when you are inviting people into your home and into your life, you're saying, I love them, I stand with them, and I am identifying myself with, with them. And I'm going to use all that God has given and provided me with to make sure they're cared for. They're encouraged. Uh, this week I was reading about uh, persecution that's going on in India. Uh, and there was a, a couple. Uh, I'm sh- I have no clue how to pronounce Indian, and so I'm sure I'm butchering their names. Um, but it was Bende and Pindai. Um, and uh, Bende was the, the, the husband. And uh, as he, he came to Christ, and him and Kendai were, were married, they, they were proclaiming the good news of Jesus in this uh, Hindu community that they lived in. And at first, the reaction and the response to them was one of, of taunting. Uh, they, were, they were ridiculed and, and assaulted verbally, but then things began to grow as, as threats were made on their lives, as people broke into their homes and beat up their family members. Uh, one night, it was pounding on their door, and they looked outside, and there was armed men who were ready to, uh, to assault and kill them. Uh, they burst open the door and grabbed Bende, and he yells to his wife, trust and hope and remain firm in Jesus. He is good. And they dragged him away. She ran away following them with their, their child calling out for them to let him go and to set him free, but they were not listening. They drug him away. She had to flee because they were then going to come after her. And where did she turn? but to a fellow member of their church. And you know what they did? They opened up their home to her and provided hospitality and safety for her in the midst of the struggle. The next morning, they found Bende throat slashed and he was dead because he followed Jesus. But Kendi was alive and her daughter was alive because their brothers and sisters in Christ opened up their home at great risk to themselves. She was unable ever to return to her home because of the, the Hindu radicals who were there. But it was through the love of her brothers and sisters in Christ that she continues to live and proclaim the glories of Jesus. 
to the community that she lives in. What about you and me? Are, are we focused on the glory of our God? Are we focused on the flourishing and the survival and the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters around us? Are we having people into our homes and into our lives? Uh, hospitality, it doesn't have to look like a big fancy dinner. You can be an incredibly hospitable person with, uh, with uh, SpaghettiOs and grilled cheese. A conversation on your front porch with a cup of water. To be here in the context of our church showing hospitality. Do you see someone who looks quiet and alone? You know them enough because you've been paying attention that something's off this morning. I want to go and find out how they are struggling. I need to provide safety and encouragement because they are uh, in a very vulnerable place and prone to attack from the evil one and those outside. That's what hospitality looks like. And Peter is saying, I'm calling you to do that. Why? Because of Christ. Whose home are you going to be living in? Jesus's. How, what kind of hospitality is provided for you? He's brought you into his family, saved and redeemed you, and say, I love every single one of these people who have professed faith and hope and trust in me. Give yourself for them. And notice what Peter says, without grumbling. How often are we focused on ourselves? What kind of footprints are going to be left on our floor? Or mud's going to come in? Or somebody's going to spill this or spill that? Or my schedule's going to have to be reoriented? Because I see... Caring for and loving for the people of God as being an inconvenience. You weren't an inconvenience to Jesus. Think about all he left to redeem and save you and me. Peter says, love people well. It is going to be costly. You're going to have to reorient your life, your routine, your priorities to love others in our church for the sake of the gospel. Notice, this kind of stuff can't happen alone and isolated. This is why the, the individualistic uh, picture of Christianity, sometimes that's communicated in America, is so far from the, the, the biblical picture. We must be in community because you can't do these things. You cannot survive as a Christian outside the context of God's people. Notice, lastly, as Peter here is calling us uh, to keep focused to love earnestly, to show hospitality. And lastly, notice what he calls us to, to serve one another. Look in verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. And ever. Peter is saying, look, you have been given gifts from God. He's not talking here specifically about material gifts. Here he's talking about uh, gifts to be used in the context of the church. In other places, we might would call them spiritual gifts. But notice what Peter is calling us to. He's calling us to be good stewards, to use these gifts rightly. And what does it look like to use these gifts rightly? It looks like using them to serve one another because you've experienced God's grace and his mercy in your life. This morning, um, I was reading in the paper, there was an article uh, by a guy named Mr. Manners. I don't know if Miss Manners died, I don't know, but it's Mr. Manners now. 
And the question was presented by a grandparent who, uh, who uh, said, uh, who's asking, I, my, my grandson's graduating from, uh, from high school, but I question his decision-making abilities. And so is it okay for me to, to give him money and tell him how I think he should spend that, that money? Can a grandparent dictate how they want the gift to be used? Mr. Manor says no. Once he opens the envelope, it's his to use as he sees fit. You can't put any strings on it. God, the great gift giver, does not follow Mr. Manor's advice. When God gives gifts, he is the one who rightly tells us and has the authority to tell, this is how I want you to use these gifts. And if you use them in any other way, you are using them wrongly. You are not being a good steward of the grace that I've poured out on you. You want to stand firm in my grace as I pour these gifts out on you? Use them to encourage and serve others around you. And what does it look like? Notice what he says. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You want to encourage others in the context of your community with your words? Point them to God. Point them to what he has said. Point them to what he says is true and what is true of them. Not what you think, not what the world says, but to God. I'm, I hope and you pray for me that this is what I do every Sunday morning, that I'm not up here proclaiming to you what I think. Hopefully what we're finding out every Sunday is what God says. That's our only hope. I hope you could care less what I think. It's what Jesus thinks of you and what he says and what he commands. And that is your only hope. Notice also, he says, it's not just, he only focuses on two aspects of gifts here, speaking and and serving. But when you serve, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. It shouldn't be that anybody is ever confused of where your strength and your ability comes from. All praise and honor must go to God. That people recognize and realize, I'm doing this because of what God has done. And the only reason I can accomplish this is because he's working in my heart and in my life. Why? Because this is why you've been saved. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. That's why you've been saved. That's why you've been created. What's man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why you've been given these gifts. That is why we want to encourage one another to do those things in the context of this difficult and hostile world that we live in that God would be glorified in them and in us, that we would all be standing firm in the grace of God so that the gospel would go forth and Christ would be glorified in everything. He's not selfish. He is the only one who is deserving of that. And that is why he has redeemed and saved us. Are you obsessed with the glory of God? If you know Jesus, you should be. If you know Jesus, you should be obsessed with the glory of God because you realize how good he is, how perfect he is, and how sufficient he is for you and for all sinners. God has redeemed us in Christ. He is calling us to stand firm in the grace of God by being focused 
on his purposes and his intentions, on loving earnestly, showing hospitality, and serving one another for his glory and for the, the, the mutual fulfillment and flourishing of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Uh, we thank you that everything that we've, we're talking about here is true, uh, that Jesus is the sufficient one. Uh, we pray and ask that you would continue to change our, our hearts. Uh, give us the heart and the mind of Jesus uh, that we would live as your people, obsessed and focused on your glory and only your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.